0: section 14 of the descent of man part 2 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the descent of man part 2 by charles darwin chapter 13 secondary sexual characters of birds part 2 it seems now well made out that the great throat-pouch of the European male bustard, Otis tarda, and of at least four other species, does not, as was formerly supposed, serve to hold water, but is connected with the utterance during the breeding season of a peculiar sound resembling oak. A crow-like bird inhabiting South America, see Cephalopterus ornatus, is called the umbrella bird, from its immense top-knot, formed of bare white quills surmounted by dark-blue plumes, which it can elevate into a great dome no less than five inches in diameter, covering the whole head. The bird has on its neck a long, thin, cylindrical, fleshy appendage, which is thickly clothed with scale-like blue feathers. It probably serves in part as an ornament, but likewise as a resounding apparatus, for Mr. Bates found that it is connected with an unusual development of the trachea and vocal organs. It is dilated when the bird utters its singularly deep, loud, and long-sustained fluty note. The head-crest and neck-appendage are rudimentary in the female. A new species with a still larger neck-appendage, see Penduliger, has lately been discovered the vocal organs of various web-footed and wading birds are extraordinarily complex and differ to a certain extent in the two sexes in some cases the trachea is convoluted like a french horn and is deeply embedded in the sternum in the wild swan cygnus ferus it is more deeply embedded in the adult male than in the adult female or young male in the male merganser the enlarged portion of the trachea is furnished with an additional pair of muscles in one of the ducks however namely anas punctata the bony enlargement is only a little more developed in the male than in the female but the meaning of these differences in the trachea of the two sexes of the anatidae is not understood for the male is not always the more vociferous thus with the common duck the male hisses, whilst the female utters a loud quack. The spoon-bill, Platalea, has its trachea convoluted into a figure of eight, and yet this is mute. But Mr. Blythe informs me that the convolutions are not constantly present, so that perhaps they are now tending towards abortion. In both sexes of one of the cranes, Grus Virgo, the trachea penetrates the sternum, but presents certain sexual modifications. In the male of the black stork there is also a well-marked sexual difference in the length and curvature of the bronchi. Highly important structures have, therefore, in these cases, been modified according to sex. It is often difficult to conjecture whether the many strange cries and notes uttered by male birds during the breeding season serve as a charm or merely as a call to the female. The soft cooing of the turtle-dove, and of many pigeons, it may be presumed, pleases the male. When the female of the wild turkey utters her call in the morning, the male answers by a note, which differs from the gobbling noise made, when, with erected feathers, rustling wings and distended wattles, he puffs and struts before her. The spell of the black cock certainly serves as a call to the female for it has been known to bring four or five females from a distance to a male under confinement. But as the black cock continues his spell for hours during successive days, and in the case of the capricalzi, with an agony of passion, we are led to suppose that the females which are present are thus charmed. The voice of the common rook is known to alter during the breeding season, and is therefore in some way sexual. But what shall we say about the harsh screams of for instance some kinds of macaws have these birds as bad taste for musical sounds as they apparently have for color judging by the inharmonious contrast of their bright yellow and blue plumage it is indeed possible that without any advantage being thus gained the loud voices of many male birds may be the result of the inherited effects of the continued use of their vocal organs when excited by the strong passions of love jealousy, and rage. But to this point we shall recur, when we treat of quadrupeds. We have as yet spoken only of the voice, but the males of various birds practice, during their courtship, what may be called instrumental music. Peacocks and birds of paradise rattle their quills together. Turkey-cocks scrape their wings against the ground, and some kinds of grouse thus produce a buzzing sound another north american grouse the tetraro umbellus when with his tail erect his ruffs displayed he shows off his finery to the females who lie hid in the neighbourhood drums by rapidly striking his wings together above his back according to mr r haymond and not as Audubon thought by striking them against his sides the sound thus produced is compared by some to distant thunder and by others to the quick roll of a drum. The female never drums, but flies directly to the place where the male is thus engaged. The male of the Cailage pheasant, in the Himalayas, often makes a singular drumming noise with his wings, not unlike the sound produced by shaking off a stiff piece of cloth. On the west coast of Africa the little black weavers, congregate in a small party on the bushes round a small open space and sing and glide through the air with quivering wings which make a rapid whirring sound like a child's rattle one bird after another thus performs for hours together but only during the courting season at this season and at no other time the males of certain nightjars caprimulgus make a strange booming noise with their wings The various species of woodpeckers strike a sonorous branch with their beaks, with so rapid a vibratory movement that the head appears to be in two places at once. The sound thus produced is audible at a considerable distance, but cannot be described, and I feel sure that its source would never be conjectured by any one hearing it for the first time. As this jarring sound is made chiefly during the breeding season, it has been considered as a love-song but it is perhaps more strictly a love-call the female when driven from her nest has been observed thus to call her mate who answered in the same manner and soon appeared lastly the male hoopoe upupa apopes combines vocal and instrumental music for during the breeding season this bird mr swinhoe observed First draws in air and then taps the end of its beak perpendicularly down against a stone or the trunk of a tree when the breath being forced down the tubular bill produces the correct sound. If the beak is not thus struck against some object, the sound is quite different. Air is at the same time swallowed, and the oesophagus thus becomes much swollen, and this probably acts as a resonator not only with the hoopoe but with pigeons and other birds. In the foregoing cases, sounds are made by the aid of structures already present and otherwise necessary. But in the following cases, certain feathers have been specially modified for the express purpose of producing sounds. The drumming, bleating, neighing, or thundering noise, as expressed by different observers, made by the common snipe, Scolopax gallinago, must have surprised every one who has ever heard it. This bird, during the pairing season, flies to perhaps a thousand feet in height, and after zigzagging about for a time, descends to the earth in a curved line, with outspread tail and quivering pinions, and surprising velocity. The sound is emitted only during this rapid descent. No one was able to explain the cause, until M. Meves, observed that on each side of the tail the outer feathers are peculiarly formed having a stiff sabre-shaped shaft with the oblique barbs of unusual length the outer webs being strongly bound together he found that by blowing on these feathers or by fastening them to a long thin stick and waving them rapidly through the air he could reproduce the drumming noise made by the living bird both sexes are furnished with these feathers, but they are generally larger in the male than in the female, and emit a deeper note. In some species, as in S. frenata, four feathers, and in S. javensis, no less than eight, on each side of the tail, are greatly modified. Different tones are emitted by the feathers of the different species when waved through the air, and the Scolopax wilsonii of the United States makes a switching noise whilst descending rapidly to earth. In the male of the Camaipetes unicolor, a large gallinaceous bird of America, the first primary wing feather is arched towards the tip, and is much more attenuated than in the female. In an allied bird, the Penelope nigra, Mr. Salvin observed a male, which, whilst it flew downwards with outstretched wings gave forth a kind of crashing rushing noise like the falling of a tree the male alone of one of the indian bustards auritus, has its primary wing feathers greatly accumulated and the male of an allied species is known to make a humming noise whilst courting the female in a widely different group of birds namely hummingbirds. The males alone of certain kinds have either the shafts of their primary wing feathers broadly dilated, or the webs abruptly excised towards the extremity. The male, for instance, of Salisphorus platycercus, when adult, has the first primary wing feather thus excised. Whilst flying from flower to flower, he makes a shrill, almost whistling noise. But it did not appear to Mr. that the noise was intentionally made. Lastly, in several species of a subgenus of pipra or manakin, the males, as described by Mr Sclater, have their secondary wing feathers modified in a still more remarkable manner. In the brilliantly colored P. Deliciosa, the first three secondaries are thick stemmed and curved towards the body. In the fourth and fifth the change is greater and in the sixth and seventh the shaft is thickened to an extraordinary degree, forming a solid, horny lump. The barbs also are greatly changed in shape, in comparison with the corresponding feathers in the female. Even the bones of the wing, which support these singular feathers in the male, are said by Mr. Fraser to be much thickened. These little birds make an extraordinary noise. The first sharp note being not unlike the crack of a whip the diversity of the sounds both vocal and instrumental made by the males of many birds during the breeding season and the diversity of the means for producing such sounds are highly remarkable we thus gain a high idea of their importance for sexual purposes and are reminded of the conclusion arrived at as to insects It is not difficult to imagine the steps by which the notes of a bird, primarily used as a mere call, or for some other purpose, might have been improved into a melodious love-song. In the case of the modified feathers, by which the drumming, whistling, or roaring noises are produced, we know that some birds, during their courtship, flutter, shake, or rattle their unmodified feathers together and if the females were led to select the best performers, the males which possessed the strongest or thickest or most attenuated feathers, situated on any part of the body, would be the most successful, and thus, by slow degrees, the feathers might be modified to almost any extent. The females, of course, would not notice each slight successive alteration in shape, but only the sounds thus produced. It is a curious fact that in the same class of animals, sounds so different as the drumming of the snipe's tail, the tapping of the woodpecker's beak, the harsh, trumpet-like cry of certain water-fowl, the cooing of the turtle-dove, and the song of the nightingale, should all be pleasing to the females of the several species. But we must not judge of the tastes of distinct species by a uniform standard, nor must we judge by the standard of man's taste." Even with man we should remember that discordant noises, the beating of tom-toms and the shrill notes of reeds, please the ears of savages. Sir S. Baker remarks that, as the stomach of the arab prefers the raw meat and reeking liver taken hot from the animal, so does his ear prefer his equally coarse and discordant music to all other. Love antics and dances. The curious love-gestures of some birds have already been incidentally noticed, so that little need here be added. In Northern America, large numbers of a grouse, the Tetrao facianelus, meet every morning during the breeding season on a selected level spot, and here they run round and round in a circle of about fifteen or twenty feet in diameter, so that the ground is worn quite bare, like a fairy ring in these partridge dances as they are called by the hunters the birds assume the strangest attitudes and run around some to the left and some to the right audubon describes the males of a heron ardea herodias as walking about on their long legs with great dignity before the females bidding defiance to their rivals with one of the disgusting carrion vultures tartartes iota the same naturalist states that the gesticulations and parade of the males at the beginning of the love season are extremely ludicrous. Certain birds perform their love antics on the wing, as we have seen with the black African weaver, instead of on the ground. During the spring our little white throat, Sylvia cinerea often rises a few feet or yards in the air above some bush and flutters with a fitful and fantastic motion singing all the while and then drops to its perch the great english bustard throws himself into indescribably odd attitudes whilst courting the female as he has been figured by woof an allied indian bustard otis bengalensis at such times rises perpendicularly into the air with a hurried flapping of his wings raising his crest, and puffing out the feathers of his neck and breast, and then drops to the ground. He repeats this maneuver several times, at the same time humming in a peculiar tone. Such females as happen to be near obey the saltatory summons, and when they approach, he trails his wings and spreads his tail like a turkey-cock but the most curious case is afforded by three allied genera of australian birds the famous bower birds no doubt the co-descendants of some ancient species which first acquired the strange instinct of constructing bowers for performing their love antics the bowers which as we shall hereafter see are decorated with feathers shells bones and leaves are built on the ground for the sole purpose of courtship, for their nests are formed in trees. Both sexes assist in the erection of the bowers, but the male is the principal workman. So strong is this instinct that it is practised under confinement, and Mr. Strange has described, the bower of the satin-bower bird may be seen in the Zoological Society's gardens, Regent's Park." the habits of some satin-bower-birds, which he kept in an aviary in New South Wales. At times the male will chase the female all over the aviary, then go to the bower, pick up a gay feather or a large leaf, utter a curious kind of note, set all his feathers erect, run around the bower, and become so excited that his eyes appear ready to start from his bead. He continues, opening first one wing, then the other, uttering a low, whistling note, and like the domestic cock, seems to be picking up something from the ground, until at last the female goes gently towards him. Captain Stokes has described the habits and playhouses of another species, the great bower-bird, which was seen amusing itself by flying backwards and forwards, taking a shell alternately from each side, and carrying it through the archway, in its mouth. These curious structures, formed solely as halls of assemblage, where both sexes amuse themselves and pay their court, must cost the birds much labor. The bower, for instance, of the fawn-breasted species, is nearly four feet in length, eighteen inches in height, and is raised on a thick platform of sticks. DECORATION I will first discuss the cases in which the males are ornamented either exclusively or in a much higher degree than the females, and in a succeeding chapter those in which both sexes are equally ornamented, and finally the rare cases in which the female is somewhat more brightly colored than the male. As with the artificial ornaments used by savage and civilized men, so with the natural ornaments of birds. The head is the chief seat of decoration. The ornaments, as mentioned at the commencement of this chapter, are wonderfully diversified. The plumes, on the front or back of the head, consist of variously shaped feathers, sometimes capable of erection or expansion, by which their beautiful colors are fully displayed. Elegant ear-tufts are occasionally present. The head is sometimes covered with velvety down as with the pheasant, or is naked and vividly colored. The throat, also, is sometimes ornamented with a beard, wattles, or caruncles. Such appendages are generally brightly colored, and no doubt serve as ornaments, though not always ornamental in our eyes, for whilst the male is in the act of courting the female, they often swell and assume vivid tints as in the male turkey. At such times, The fleshy appendages about the head of the tragopan pheasant, Cerenoris temminkii, swell into a large lappet on the throat, and into two horns, one on each side of the splendid topknot, and these are then colored of the most intense blue which I have ever beheld. The African hornbill, Bucorax abyssinicus, inflates the scarlet, bladder-like wattle on its neck. And with its wings drooping and tail expanded, makes quite a grand appearance. Even the iris of the eye is sometimes more brightly colored in the male than in the female, and this is frequently the case with the beak, for instance in our common blackbird. In Buceros corugatus, the whole beak and immense cask are colored more conspicuously in the male than in the female, and the oblique grooves upon the sides of the lower mandible are peculiar to the male sex the head again often supports fleshy appendages filaments and solid protuberances these if not common to both sexes are always confined to the males the solid protuberances have been described in detail by dr w marshall who shows that they are formed either of cancellated bone coated with skin or of dermal and other tissues with mammals true horns are always supported on the frontal bones but with birds various bones have been modified for this purpose and in species of the same group the protuberances may have cores of bone or be quite destitute of them with intermediate gradations connecting these two extremes hence as dr marshall justly remarks Variations of the most different kinds have served for the development through sexual selection of these ornamental appendages. Elongated feathers, or plumes, spring from almost every part of the body. The feathers on the throat and breast are sometimes developed into beautiful ruffs and collars. The tail feathers are frequently increased in length, as we see in the tail coverts of the peacock and in the tail itself of the argus pheasant. With the peacock, even the bones of the tail have been modified to support the heavy tail coverts. The body of the argus is not larger than that of a fowl, yet the length from end of the beak to the extremity of the tail is no less than five feet three inches, and that of the beautifully oscillated secondary wing feathers nearly three feet. In a small African nightjar. Cosmetornis vexillarius, one of the primary wing feathers, during the breeding season, attains a length of twenty-six inches, whilst the bird itself is only ten inches in length. In another closely allied genus of nightjars, the shafts of the elongated wing feathers are naked, except at the extremity, where there is a disc again in another genus of nightjars the tail feathers are even still more prodigiously developed in general the feathers of the tail are more often elongated than those of the wings as any great elongation of the latter impedes flight we thus see that in closely allied birds ornaments of the same kind have been gained by the males through the development of widely different feathers it is a curious fact that the feathers of species belonging to very distinct groups have been modified in almost exactly the same peculiar manner thus the wing feathers in one of the above-mentioned night-jars are bare along the shaft and terminate in a disc or are as they are sometimes called spoon or racket shaped feathers of this kind occur in the tail of a motmot eumomota superciliaris of a kingfisher, finch, hummingbird, parrot, several Indian drongos, Dicrurus, and edolius, in one of which the disc stands vertically, and in the tail of certain birds of paradise. In these latter birds, similar feathers, beautifully oscillated, ornament the head, as is likewise the case with some gallinaceous birds. In an Indian bustard, Siphiotetus, Auritus, the feathers forming the ear tufts which are about four inches in length also terminate in discs it is a most singular fact that the motmots as mr salvin has clearly shown give to their tail feathers the racket shape by biting off the barbs and further that this continued mutilation has produced a certain amount of inherited effect Again, the barbs of the feathers in various widely distinct birds are filamentous or plumose, as with some herons ibises birds of paradise and gallinaceae. In other cases, the barbs disappear, leaving the shafts bare from end to end, and these in the tail of the pardisia apoda attain a length of thirty-four inches in p papuana. They are much shorter and thin smaller feathers when thus denuded appear like bristles as on the breast of the turkey-cock as any fleeting fashion in dress comes to be admired by man so with birds a change of almost any kind in the structure or colouring of the feathers in the male appears to have been admired by the female the fact of the feathers in widely distinct groups having been modified in an analogous manner no doubt depends primarily on all the feathers having nearly the same structure and manner of development and consequently tending to vary in the same manner we often see a tendency to analogous variability in the plumage of our domestic breeds belonging to distinct species thus top knots have appeared in several species in an extinct variety of the turkey the topknot consisted of bare quills surmounted with plumes of down, so that they somewhat resembled the racket-shaped feathers above described in certain breeds of the pigeon and fowl the feathers are plumose with some tendency in the shafts to be naked in the sebastopol goose the scapular feathers are greatly elongated curled or even spirally twisted with the margins plumose in regard to color Hardly anything need here be said, for every one knows how splendid are the tints of many birds, and how harmoniously they are combined. The colors are often metallic and iridescent. Circular spots are sometimes surrounded by one or more different shaded zones, and are thus converted into ocelli. Nor need much be said on the wonderful difference between the sexes of many birds, the common peacock offers a striking instance female birds of paradise are obscurely colored and destitute of all ornaments whilst the males are probably the most highly decorated of all birds and in so many different ways that they must be seen to be appreciated the elongated and golden orange plumes which spring from beneath the wings of the paradisea apoda, when vertically erected and made to vibrate are described as forming a sort of halo in the centre of which the head looks like a little emerald sun with its rays formed by the two plumes. In another most beautiful species, the head is bald and of a rich cobalt blue crossed by several lines of black velvety feathers. Male hummingbirds almost vie with birds of paradise in their beauty, as every one will admit who has seen mr gould's splendid volumes or his rich collection it is very remarkable in how many different ways these birds are ornamented almost every part of their plumage has been taken advantage of and modified and the modifications have been carried as mr gould showed me to a wonderful extreme in some species belonging to nearly every subgroup such cases are curiously like those which we see in our fancy breeds reared by man for the sake of ornament certain individuals originally varied in one character and other individuals of the same species in other characters and these have been seized on by man and much augmented as shown by the tail of the fantail pigeon the hood of the jacobin the beak and wattle of the carrier and so forth the sole difference between these cases is that in the one the result is due to man selection while in the other, as with humming-birds, birds of paradise, etc., it is due to the selection by the females of the more beautiful males. I will mention only one other bird, remarkable from the extreme contrast in color between the sexes, namely the famous bell-bird of South America, the note of which can be distinguished at the distance of nearly three miles, and astonishes every one when first hearing it. The male is pure white, whilst the female is dusky green, and white is a very rare color and terrestrial species of moderate size and inoffensive habits. The male also, as described by Waterton, has a spiral tube, nearly three inches in length, which rises from the base of the beak. It is jet black, dotted over with minute downy feathers. This tube can be inflated with air through a communication with a palate, and when not inflated, hangs down on one side. The genus consists of four species, the males of which are very distinct, whilst the females, as described by Mr. Sclater, in a very interesting paper, closely resemble each other, thus offering an excellent instance of the common rule that within the same group, the males differ much more from each other than do the females. In a second species, C. nudicalis, the male is likewise snow-white, with the exception of a large space of naked skin on the throat and round the eyes, which during the breeding season is of a fine green color. In a third species, C. tricharancholatus, the head and neck alone of the male are white, the rest of the body being chestnut-brown, And the male of this species is provided with three filamentous projections, half as long as the body, one rising from the base of the beak, and the two others from the corners of the mouth. The colored plumage and certain other ornaments of the adult males are either retained for life, or are periodically renewed during the summer and breeding season. At this same season, the beak and naked skin, about the head, frequently change color. As with some herons, ibises, gulls, one of the bellbirds just noticed, etc., in the white ibis, the cheeks, the inflatable skin of the throat, and the basal portion of the beak then become crimson. In one of the rails, gallicrex cristatus, a large red caruncle is developed during this period on the head of the male. So it is with a thin horny crest on the beak of one of the pelicans p erythrorhynchus for after the breeding season these horny crests are shed like horns from the heads of stags and the shore of an island in a lake in nevada was found covered with these curious exuviae changes of color in the plumage according to the season depend firstly on a double annual molt secondly on an actual change of color in the feathers themselves and thirdly on their dull, colored margins being periodically shed, or on these three processes more or less combined. The shedding of the deciduary margins may be compared with the shedding of their down by very young birds, for the down, in most cases, arises from the summits of the first true feathers. End of section 14. Recording by Guero